Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today is March 4th. We uh, just finished the third weekend of um, college baseball action. Uh, Fun weekend, entertaining weekend around the country. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, And here joining me today on the podcast are Dave Serrano and Joe Healy. Welcome in, guys. Thanks for having me back, Teddy. Yeah, hey, Teddy. Excited to talk about it. Yeah, so week three is, I guess, traditionally a big weekend around the country. We're a couple weeks in, so teams, I think, feel a little more confident in testing themselves. And we're still a week or two away from conference play, so everyone can kind of load up. And as a result, there are some big tournaments this weekend uh, every year, as well as some big series. And all of that led to some significant shakeups for the first time in the Baseball America Top 25 this year. Vanderbilt remains number one in the Top 25, and after that, the rankings start to look a little bit differently. Uh, you had Texas sweeping LSU this weekend, and as a result, LSU has fallen out of the number two spot that they'd been in since the preseason. UCLA moves up to number two, North Carolina to three. Stanford jumps into the top five for the first time at number four. Florida remains at five, followed by Florida State. And then we have Oregon State, Mississippi State, Texas into the top ten for the first time, and LSU rounding out the top ten. We had two new teams enter the top 25. We had South Carolina come in. Uh, They're at number 20 following a series win against their, uh, their arch rival Clemson. And also joining the ranking is North Carolina State. They're in at number 23. They are undefeated and just finished off a sweep of Minnesota. So the rankings look a little bit differently this week. Uh, I would encourage you all to, to check them out in, in more depth at BaseballAmerica.com. Every week, Joe does a good job of wrapping up what each team has done over the course of the weekend, or over the course of the previous week. And so I, there's a lot of good info over in the top 25 at BaseballAmerica.com beyond just the, uh, the basic rankings there. So make sure to check those out. And we'll, we'll continue to, uh, to see how this progresses throughout the season. But this is going to be, I feel like, one of the more, one of the bigger changes in, in terms of just week to week in the rankings of the year. Certainly the biggest so far. So we have a lot to talk about as a result. Like I mentioned, there were some, some big series, some big tournaments. But let's start with Texas sweeping LSU. The Longhorns came into the weekend, uh, number 19, there were some questions about the Longhorns at the start of the season, just in terms of they lost an awful lot from last year's Omaha club. Everyone knows that Cody Clemens has gone into pro ball, who third round pick last year, the All-American second baseman and uh, Golden Spikes finalist was a huge part of, of uh, Texas's success last season. Uh, but they also lost some significant pieces on their pitching staff. Uh, two members of the rotation are gone, two of their key bullpen arms, their closer and uh, really, their bullpen ace and Parker Joe Robinson uh, and Andy McGuire; those two guys are gone. And as a result, Texas was, uh, you know, there, there, there were some questions. And then uh, shortstop David Hamilton uh, was injured in, in January; he ruptured his Achilles tendon, and he's out for the year now. So Texas started the season well, despite you know a largely new look roster. Um, but their their biggest test that was by far this weekend against LSU, uh, the Tigers coming into Dishfalk Field at eight and zero, riding really high, 
and they hadn't really been tested to before this weekend, and, and they got a big test, and Texas passed the test with flying colors. They won 8-1 to one on Friday night. Bryce Elder was outstanding again uh, for the Horns. Uh, they, they rolled through on, on Saturday, beat up Landon Marceau pretty good, and then uh, on Sunday they came back, scored four runs in the final two innings to walk off with a 7-6 to six victory, and right now Texas with their moving up to nine, becomes the highest-ranked Big 12 team in the top 25. And uh, at this point, you know, they look like they're very much going to contend in the Big 12, to which they won last year. Uh, Texas Tech has been a little shaky the last couple weekends. Uh, they, they went 0-2 this weekend. We'll get to them in a second. But, Joe, what has worked for Texas so far this season? Well, you mentioned his name. I mean, a big part of it's been the success of Bryce Elder because if you'd gone into the season and told me that three weeks of the season Blair Henley was going to have a 675 ERA, um, you know, I would have been a little bit worried about what we'd see from Texas because he was kind of the one guy you thought you, you knew what you'd be getting from him. And that still very well could be the case, small size that we're still working with now. But but he has uh, not been – Bryce Elder's really stepped into that. Uh, considering the opponent, probably his best outing, six and two-thirds innings, four hits and one run, which was unearned against an LSU offense that we know is uh, really, really good. Hobbs done a nice job um, in the opportunities he, he's gotten. He started in the Sunday game against LSU, and, and they've just got a handful of guys in the bullpen who seem to have taken steps forward. Cameron Fields, perhaps chief among them, guy with really good stuff who showed some good things last year but also had some struggles, and he's been really good. Owen Meany, a new face out there in the bullpen, done a nice job. Uh, Cole Quintanilla, a guy who maybe got you know, bumped potentially from the rotation by the presence of a guy like Bryce Elder being in the rotation. Uh, he's taken to serving in a bullpen role, 11 and two-thirds innings already for him out of the bullpen, and he's been just about untouchable. So uh, the pitching has really been there, which was kind of the question mark we had about them, um, and it just kind of goes to show that, uh, uh, you know, this is a program that continues to be able to develop pitching like that. Offensively, um, I, I think it's good news that, well, not good news, you would always choose to have uh, your best guys hitting well, but Zach Zuby is still kind of, uh, getting going a little bit. Um, and the offense hasn't just been Zach Zuby and a bunch of guys. Austin Todd's off to a nice start. Ryan Reynolds is off to a nice start. And those are two guys I think that we highlighted as keys for this offense moving into the season, and they've lived up to that. Now, the thing I will say is they have missed David Hamilton a little bit because the guys who are filling in there in the middle infield, Bryce Regan, Mason Hibbler, Lance Ford, those guys are all off to kind of tough starts offensively. And so that certainly is something to watch moving forward. Uh, David Hamilton certainly was... Uh, more of a game changer defensively than he was offensively, but he also turned into a nice offensive player. And so it kind of remains to be seen, um, you know, what they get from those guys moving forward when they get into Big 12 play and they are being tested week after week after week um, against better and better pitching staff. So that's certainly something to watch moving forward. But this is an athletic offense. It's getting a lot of stuff from uh, from a lot of different guys. Um, and then the pitching has just really taken a step forward. You've got a lot of new faces who are doing a lot of nice things. And then uh, you know, Bryce Elder, I think if you, if you were to make me give you like a one word answer or a two word answer, I suppose that would be my answer as to why they are where they are is that he's a guy who wasn't necessarily in the plans for the rotation as recently as the end of the fall. Uh, but in the spring just really blew the coaching staff away and they, they gave him a shot and he's really taken it and run with it. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, you mentioned Austin Todd there and, and he was banged up a lot of last year and, and, uh, obviously, they didn't hurt Texas from going where they wanted to be, but I think that at times last year, the offense felt like Cody Clemens and some other guys, and part of the reason it felt like that, I think, is because Austin Todd would only had was, was limited by injuries to 73 at-bats last season, and he's healthy now and back hitting in the middle of the order, and that, that's been huge for them, and you mentioned Ryan Reynolds getting going, and 
you know, they're doing it really, I guess, collectively right now offensively. They, they haven't found, you know, anyone that, that that's really just head and shoulders above the rest as, as good as Austin Todd and, and Ryan Reynolds have been. And I think that that is encouraging uh, for Texas because, uh, you know, they're not going to find another Cody Clemens on that roster, I don't think. So, uh, you know, they're going to need to do it a little more as a team this year. And then the other thing I would say is that, you know, they're missing David Hamilton defensively right now, but I do think that the defenders that they have in the infield are solid. When I talked with uh, David Pierce yesterday, he said they still have work to do defensively, uh, but I, I think that they'll get it done. I, I think that Bryce Reagan and Mason Hibbler in the middle of the infield can be a solid duo. You know, right now they're Pierce said they're they're making all the routine plays. Now he wants them to start making, uh, you know, some of the, the the harder plays. And if they are able to make that jump, that would be pretty significant for the Longhorns. On the flip side, LSU reeling a little bit after this loss. Their pitching staff kind of got beat up pretty good. Zach Hess got beat up on Friday night. Landon Marceau got beat up on Saturday. And then Todd Peterson at the back end of the bullpen wore it on Sunday. Um, they hit they hit or miss on, on the offense this weekend for LSU. And, um, you know, they now have a week to get ready for SEC play, uh, try and regroup. Dave, um, what does LSU have to do? How, how do you get a team back on track? Um, you know, over the next week, what's what's Paul Maneri got to do? Well, I, uh, I'll use your words. The flip side is exactly right off of what Joe just explained about Texas. It's the exact opposite. LSU is struggling on the mound, and that's where it starts with them. And really surprising. I have a lot of respect for Alan Dunn and his development of pitching staffs, and I, I just think they're, they're struggling with their staff right now, and they've got to get some answers in a hurry. Over the course of the weekend, and this is, Dooms for an 0-3 who, no matter who you're playing a lot of the times, they walked 22 guys this weekend from the mound. And it's kind of been something for LSU for the course of the early part of the season, but they haven't really been tested with their schedule yet. Uh, they've In 96 innings, they've walked 59 guys. So they're given a ton of opportunities for other teams, and when you play good teams, they're going to take advantage of it, and obviously Texas did. In Game 3, they had a 5-3 to lead. They had an opportunity to bust the game open with bases loaded and Antoine DeClantis and Daniel Cabrera up. They didn't come through, and then it allows the doors to be open for Texas. They had many opportunities that they let squander. They left 22 guys on bases over the course of the weekend. Those two things I've talked about, the free passes and the leaving opportunities on the bases, that is a recipe for, for the lack of success that they had this weekend. Uh, they've got to get back to ABC baseball, and that's throwing strikes, playing defense, and putting the ball in play when you have runners in scoring position. I could only compare this to they can go one of two ways. They could use this as a, as a springboard to the rest of the season. They've gotten tested. Now they, need to, now they know exactly what they need to work on. In 2001, we took a Cal State Fullerton team into, into Miami and swept Miami for the first time in their program history on their home field. Well, if you remember, Teddy, and I'm sure you do, you and Joe remember this, 2001, who was the national champion? It was the Miami Hurricanes. So LSU can springboard this tough series of getting swept on the road and use it and get better from that and, and, and as they prepare to start um, SEC play in two weeks. But they've got some things to fix, and most of the part, it's, it's on the pitching staff, which has usually been their bread and butter of their program. Yeah, and... 
we thought that that was going to be uh, a, a strength of this team that you know they would they would have a lot of pieces on the mound and you know you had Hess coming back on Friday nights and you know he'd been inconsistent last year but maybe a, a year later he would he would be able to to be a little more consistent and to this point we haven't really seen that and Marceau uh, Dave Dave you and I both picked him as our freshman of the year. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, he he was supposed to be one of the most polished pitchers in the prep class, he really was. But uh, you know, in this first big college showdown, he uh, he did not get it done for them. So it'll be interesting to see how how they go back and and kind of shape this pitching staff. And it's significant this week for for LSU. Uh, I I don't think anyone needs to push it in Baton Rouge at all. Uh, but I, I I do think a, a team that you know does have some to do, and, and that's not surprising. Uh, I guess ultimately that you know all these teams still have improvements to do. LSU just got exposed significantly, you know, this weekend. Now, elsewhere, uh, we we had South Carolina beating Clemson. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, that was uh, South Carolina took the the first game and the last game of that series. Clemson grabs the middle game, uh, but South Carolina really uh, took it to Clemson on Sunday in Columbia, blowing out the Tigers, and as a result, South Carolina into the top 25, they had not really tested themselves uh, to a significant degree before this weekend. They're kind of building to this this annual rivalry series against Clemson, and they did a good job of building towards that, uh, really. they you know it, It's a team that, like Texas, um, suffered a lot of losses from last year's Super Regional team over there. Uh, but they've uh, they've done a good job of putting some things together, and they're nine and two overall. They have series wins against Liberty, Utah Valley, and and uh, Liberty's a pretty solid team. And and Clemson, uh, we, we thought a lot of coming into the year, and I, I was impressed with the way uh, South Carolina hit this weekend. I know that there are some questions on the mound right now, especially after uh, Friday starter Cameron Mulaginski, uh comes up injured uh, on Friday nights. So we'll, we'll see where South Carolina turns from there. But uh, at least for this weekend, South Carolina really came through uh, with, with a, a, a statement series win. It's the first time they've won the series in five years, uh, which is significant in itself. You know, just a, a big weekend for Mark Kingston and the Gamecocks. Dave, you were uh, you were down there in, in South Carolina. What were your uh, what was your takeaway from from the Gamecocks? Well, they have a lot of nice pieces. I, I think the concern is, as, as you said, the Moginski's injury is going to hurt hamper them a little bit. I know talking to the coaching staff, uh, they have five-game week this week. Uh, they're going to have some shuffling around to do. Offensively, they have some really good pieces. Um, I walked away really impressed with from T.J. Hopkins. He's one of those young men that seems like he's been in South Carolina for about 20 years. See, it is his senior year now, but... He's playing like a veteran. He had a great weekend. He was 7 for 15. He had a double, three home runs, and nine RBIs. I'd consider that a pretty good weekend, especially when you're playing your arch rival in, in a big weekend series. Andrew Eicher had a good He swings over the lineup. He had a, a really good weekend run production, 7 for 12. One guy that really impressed me is a junior college transfer named Luke Berryhill, their catcher. He can really catch and throw. I watched him every inning. In between, I saw it, um, when Clemson attempted some steals, he threw the he threw guys out. Uh, really like him, and he's offensive, very offensive. Got some power. Had a good weekend also with five five RBIs. And then Noah Campbell at the top of the order um, gets on base and does some exciting things. So I like some pieces there. 
The one guy that I really walked away from the mound impressed with was a young man, a freshman named Brett Carey. Uh, pitched three and a third innings on Friday night, two hits, seven Ks, a true freshman in that kind of environment, pitching in Clemson uh, as a freshman. Was cool, as calm and cool as any freshman I've ever seen. And then talking to Coach Kingston the next day, he was a young man that they were kind of teetering whether he was going to make the team or not. And it just goes to show that sometimes us coaches really don't know sometimes what's inside of kids. And I think he's a guy with the injury now to Moginski, he's a guy that may be able to step into that rotation because he showed me a lot of poise and a lot of charisma for a young man. But they've got some issues on the mound, but I like their offense. But um, she's fixed on the mound. Their Saturday starter, Dylan Harley, really impressive left-hander. But it's been his kind why his numbers aren't very good. They've got to get that fixed because that, that Saturday starter is such a big starter in weekend series because – it, it can save the bullpen. When you have to go to your bullpen early on, it's going to make it tough for you to be successful over the course of a three-game series. And I know you came away impressed with Clemson despite uh, them losing the series. What is it that has you encouraged about the Tigers going forward? Well, they, they've got good pieces, too. And, and you know, uh, obviously, their guy, Logan Davidson, the shortstop, the, the guy who uh, everyone's looking at from the major league perspective in the draft. He's gotten off to a little slow start, had a, had a good weekend. Not a great weekend, but a good weekend. Sam Hall at the top of the order, I think a good baseball player, gets on base. Michael Green had a good weekend. guy I walked away liking a lot is Grayson Bird. He's kind of got the, the, the Justin Turner-like beard, red-haired red, red, uh, red, uh, beard, uh, grinder at the plate, takes good at bats, has good pop. But again, if they're starting pitching where the concern is for me, their bullpen had some good pieces at the end. Matt Clark, the left-handed pitcher, came in Friday night, could really pitch and really slowed down the bats of South Carolina. Holt Jones came in on Saturday, was throwing 95-97 on the gun reading off the stem. I don't think it was quite that high off the regular gun reading, but he is still in that range of 93-96. to 96. Came in with an explosive fastball, and then Travis Marr at the end of the game. They had some good pieces in the bullpen, but... When your your Saturday guy Davis Sharp, who I think is a good college two way guy as a true freshman, hitting him in the lineup the middle of the order starting on Saturday, he goes three and two thirds innings, which was the longest stint of any of their starters over the weekend. And it's tough to win series, it's tough to win baseball games when you're starting rotation. That's the deepest your, one of your starters goes. But I think they've got good pieces. I like Brooks Crawford the Friday night, so but I like what he brings to the table. And then, um, obviously, Sunday started, uh, Justin Roblinski had a tough start. But I do like their pieces. They're young in some places, but I like their athletic ability as a lineup. And I think eventually they're going to be a good baseball team. And I think this wasn't a good judge them. They just played better than them in a three-game series. He comes and has to really figure things out right away. They've got North Carolina coming in uh, to start ACC play on the weekend. So that's going to be an interesting to see how Clemson handles you know, this, this setback, are they able to bounce back right away uh, and, and prevent this from, from spiraling at all? Because uh, things things don't get any easier this weekend. And uh, then they're obviously they're, they're right into the thick of conference play. So you got to got to get it rolling again, which uh, we'll, we'll see if Clemson uh, can do that this weekend. I, I mentioned earlier that, that this weekend also had some great tournaments. Uh, one of them uh, down in Frisco, the, the Frisco College Classic, produced a, uh, a top 10 matchup on Saturday with uh, Mississippi State facing off against Texas Tech. And 
Uh, Mississippi State got the the better of the the Red Raiders in that one uh, behind JT Ginn, and Mississippi State goes two and zero down there. Texas Tech goes zero and two. Sunday's games were were washed out, and, and Sam Houston State and Nebraska both go one and one as the the other two teams in that tournament. Joe, you were there, and uh, I know you came away pretty impressed with uh, with both the Bulldogs and their their freshman phenom uh, JT Ginn. But what what was your impressions from from Frisco? Yeah, Mississippi State uh, is just going to be a tough customer to deal with in SEC play with what they have on the mound. And, and the headliners there are obviously the lefty Ethan Small and then JT and the freshman righty, and they were both really, really good again. Um, Ethan Small, that changeup is just a really, really good weapon for him, and he uses it all the time to get our hitters off. Like, he really has a ton of confidence in it. Um, and he's a really good opener against Sam Houston State. And then uh, JT again was, was even more impressive, really, against Texas Tech when you consider the opponent there and the offensive expectations we have around Texas Tech. Now, uh, you know, Sunday did get washed out because the the temperatures were in the in the low 30s, and then there was a pretty strong driving wind that made it feel like just just absolutely brutal. And it was damp all weekend, so it was it was a really tough environment to, to play in. Of course, everybody has to play in it, so um, you know, it's something we heard over and over again. Is that there, were, there weren't a ton of excuses made for it, but it, it really was tough. But um, but no, JT again was was absolutely outstanding. You know, I came away impressed with the way he's he's just able to kind of use his fastball differently. It's not just arm strength it's not just velo although he did uh, did get up to 94 um but it was you know a cutter that he'd throw at 89 and then he'd come back with a, a sinker that he'd throw at 92 and he did a really nice job with josh young struck him out twice um you know the first time was on one of those 92 mile an hour sinkers and it was just a swing you don't see from josh young very much um it was off balance it was reaching it was a ball at it that ended up out of the zone um and i think that was just kind of a good microcosm of the day for jt again it's a really uh, you know, disciplined Texas Tech offense, cold or not, you expect a Texas Tech offense to uh, be really disciplined, and they really struggle with that, and Tim Tadlock was honest about that after the game. He said, you know, he's he was doing something, and he, he kind of put it on maybe the slider spin was a little bit different than what his team normally sees, but his point was, you know, we've got a whole staff of guys who throw hard, uh, but there was something different he was doing that was getting us out of our game, and, you know, he, he hitters flailing, so I'm feeling pretty good about my uh, JT Yen freshman of the year pick at this point. Still a long way to go, and SEC SEC play is going to bring trials and tribulations to any freshman. So I don't anticipate he will go through the entire season unscathed. But but uh, so far so good there. Bullpen's really really talented. Cole Gordon showed probably the best breaking ball that I saw all weekend in his two appearances. Just absolutely outstanding uh, breaking ball there. Jared Liebeld had did a nice job this weekend. Coley White uh, has been to 97 miles per hour this season. He was dominant in his time out there. And they've got some guys, names you probably recognize, you know, guys like Spencer Price or Riley Self and Tristan Barlow. Just a really veteran staff in a lot of places. So, um, and the offense was, was good at times, too. Like I said, it was it was not a great offensive weekend. But, you know, Jake Mangum did Jake Mangum things. And Elijah McMee uh, did some things. And, uh, you know, uh, Rowdy Jordan, Dustin Skelton, they all kind of had their moments throughout the weekend. So, it was a good offensive performance for Mississippi State, but that pitching staff in particular stood out uh, to me quite a bit. You know, Texas Tech, I'm not overly worried about it. One, because they were too close to the game. Eric Lanning has been starting for them on Fridays, and I don't really know that that's something that they want to have continue necessarily. No, that's no disrespect to Erickson Lanning, but with a lot of the high-end arms they have on the staff, I think they were hoping that maybe that, you know, someone like a Caleb Killian would be a big-time Friday arm. But Lanning's done a really nice job, so maybe in just selling him short and maybe he is the type of guy that can really uh, do it up for them on Fridays and he was good again this weekend so you know I feel a little bit more positively about that 
that I did coming into the weekend. Some guys were down velocity-wise. John McMillan came in on Saturday, and he was more, uh, you know, 90-91 with his fastball, uh, which is below what he normally is. But again, you just don't know how much of that to put on to put on conditions. So they just didn't string enough hits together. I think it was seven hits in two games. But the positive spin of that is when they got guys on base, you could see what they were trying to do. I mean, they only got three hits against JT Ginn in the Saturday game. They scored two runs. And that was because every ball in the dirt, they're getting an extra base. They're trying to steal bases. They're moving runners. Um, and that allowed them to be in that game on Saturday, even though they really had no business you know, competing in that game just because they were really shut down offensively. So I, I took that as kind of a positive. So um, didn't get to see a lot of Max Marshock, which was a little bit disappointing to me. He's kind of a guy who, who I selected as the freshman of the year in the Big 12. Um, he's just kind of struggled with the bat a little bit. He did start in the Saturday game. He came in as a pinch runner in the Friday game, and you can definitely see the speed. The speed pops off the page. That was exciting to see, but I uh, just wish I'd get a little more sample size from him. A couple quick things on Sam Houston and, and Nebraska. Sam Houston, uh, what Matt Dennis called a toughness win against Nebraska in that Saturday game, I think it was 12-11 to 11 was the final, or perhaps 11-10. to 10. Um, But just really, th- that was kind of the, the peak of the gross conditions. It was it was really coming down pretty pretty good at that point in the game. There were quite a few errors. There, there was a gift from that game you might have seen where uh, freshman Spencer Schwellenbach ran over Matt Deggs in the third-base coaching box um, trying to go after a throw that had gotten away. Uh, it was kind of an game, uh, but Sam Houston came back and won it. And Deggs' point is, you know, at the end of the year, the committee's not going to go, okay, who won that game? And, and by the way, what, was the, what were the conditions like? They just want to know who won it. And they left a lot of – his point was they left some games on the table last year, and that's kind of what cost them a spot in the regional. And I think this is a team determined to not have that happen again. So that was a big win for them there. Keep an eye on Colton Cowder. Uh, he's a guy I really like. He's, a, he's the, the guy I selected as the freshman of the year in the Southland Conference. Really good raw athlete, runs well, uh, supposedly has a 40-plus-inch vertical. And Nebraska bounced back nicely after that tough Oregon State series. Uh, Chad Lindsman was really good for them in a relief outing. I think he's a guy that if Nebraska is going to challenge the regional again, they're going to need Chad Lindsman to be a big part of that. I really liked what I saw from him. And Colby Gomes was a nice surprise for me, Gomez. Um, came in in relief in their uh, win and was, you know, 92, 94. He's a big, strong-looking guy. Was kind of watching the mound because he's demonstrative. He stomps around and he points and, and gestures and uh, just kind of a guy who has kind of that infectious energy there. And uh, Spencer Schwellenbach, freshman there that I mentioned earlier, had a nice weekend. He's really kind of been a catalyst offensively for them already. So, um, you know, last weekend w- was tough for them at Oregon State, and I was kind of curious to see what they had in the tank coming into this weekend. And they clearly came to play. I mean, they were just a couple plays from – going 2-0 and themselves had they gotten that win over Sam Houston. So came away feeling pretty positive about the Huskers as well. Disappointed not to get the Sunday games in there in Frisco, but uh, given what the temperatures were, certainly can't blame them for not wanting to put some of those players at risk. Yeah, it was a very impressive uh, weekend there for Nebraska. I, I feel like even in uh, going 1-1, one and one, just coming off of what they were coming off of, having seen Oregon State for four games, uh, you know, that's that's really tough. And, and, and the you know they they didn't get an easy draw on Friday night, and you know that to to come out and win that game I thought was was significant for Nebraska, and it'll be interesting to see how they go uh, moving forward. They're supposed to get Baylor at home this weekend, and now because of poor weather expected in Lincoln, they have to go down to Waco for that series, and that's a, another really tough series. Nebraska with a, a really tough slate out of the gate, but if they can get through this, uh, they'll be much more for it and. I still like them to make some noise in the Big Ten late season. 
Uh, down the road from Frisco in Houston, we had the Shriners College Classic, which I have taken all in the granddaddy of uh, of all these early season uh, non-conference tournaments. It is uh, it's a, always a fun tournament down here in, in Houston. They brought in an all Texas field this time uh, for just the third time in tournament history, and uh, it was. But Texas A&M came out of it looking really good. They go three and zero. They were the only undefeated team in the tournament. And I thought what was most impressive about Texas A&M, of course, was the pitching. They uh, they only gave up a few runs all weekend. Uh, they they got outstanding starts on Friday and Saturday from uh, from their left-handed duo of John Dexakis and Oslisi. Um Those guys combined for for to go for 15 innings and. The, they gave up only one run, struck out, uh, you know, something like 15 bat, 21 batters, 21 batters, and, and it was just a, a great look for for both of them. Daxakis is is going to be a top three rounds pick probably this year, and Lacey looks like a first rounder next year. And those two guys um, are going to give A and M a chance to win pretty much every weekend, and you know they look like one of the best one-two punches in the SEC, and I, I think that A&M has good pitching depth behind them. Uh, they're, they're good in the bullpen. They've got a lot of arms to run at you, but those two guys especially can separate the Aggies. A&M is not hitting particularly well right now. Braden Shoemake has been uh, kind of a little mixed out of He was slower out of the gate. He's starting to get into it now. He hit his first homer of the season uh, on Friday night, and an opposite field shot into the Crawford boxes there at Minute Maid Park. A&M really needs him to get rolling. They need a couple other guys to get rolling. Uh, but I think, for the most part, this team's going to be a pitching and defense team, and I, they're really going to lean on that pitching staff. And I think the only downside to this weekend for A&M is that freshman stud Jonathan Childress, who's not related to head coach Rob Childress, uh, walked off the mound with a trainer after three innings, on Sunday, he uh, has some forearm tightness, and uh, we'll see what, what comes of that. But that was not what the Aggies wanted to see uh, in Sunday's game. Just though they they did come back, um, you know, go on to, to win the game to, to again finish an an undefeated weekend. And, and TCU went one and two down here, and and that was a little surprising. The way in which it happened was even more surprising. On Friday night, they got an amazing start from Nick Lodolo, who uh, honestly looked like the best pitcher in the draft class on Friday night. He was throwing his fastball with, with great tilt from the left side. He was pounding the zone. He, he did everything you would want him to do. It was it was his best, potentially his best start of the season. I, I was told that he, he might have been even a little bit better the weekend before against Grand Canyon. Uh, so if Lodolo is getting locked in like that, uh, that is a great sign for TCU. They lost one to nothing to AM on Saturday night. Uh, they just weren't able to capitalize on, on much of anything offensively. They had the leadoff runner on in nearly every inning against Lacey, but uh, he was nearly unhittable. They only had one hit all night, and uh, so they weren't really able to take advantage of the fact that he was a little wild. And then on Sunday, they got blown out by Rice, uh, which was a big surprise, and uh, put a really nice stamp on the weekend for Rice, which had been struggling offensively until uh, Saturday and Sunday. They really found some things and got, got some things working, and, and they finished 2-1 and one down here, uh, which is big for them because they had been coming off getting swept uh, by Irvine last weekend. So a, a great weekend of, of baseball around the from, from the whole field, really, but um, 
Texas State, you know, mentioning Rice going 2-1, Texas State also went 2-1, and, and I think a lot of people, when this field got announced a year ago, uh, saw Texas State in there, and, and that raised some eyebrows. They, uh, you know, when, when you're in a field with, uh, you know, teams like Baylor, A&M, TCU, Houston, and Rice, uh, you know, th- those are some heavy hitters, and Texas State has had some lean years in recent years, but they're rolling right now, and, and, and Joe, what, what do we make of the Bobcats? Yeah, certainly an impressive weekend for them. And, and when I look at the Sun Belt at large, I think there's an opportunity for them to, to finish up near the top of the league and, and maybe challenge to get back into a regional. I mean, obviously Coastal is the leader in the clubhouse. They're changing. They've played really well this season. But, uh, you know, South Alabama has, has struggled a little bit early. Louisiana looked pretty good against Texas, but has, has since struggled. They got swept by Sam Houston two weekends ago. So maybe this is a Texas State team that's able to, to challenge back at the top of the league. They, they've really kind of struggled to get their – footing as a Sunbelt program after moving over from the Southland, but um, perhaps that's changing. So certainly a, a good uh, sign of that this weekend. Almost went 3-0, and uh, and they lost that Sunday game against Baylor when, you know, Baylor came back in the, in the final inning. But I think that was more just a Baylor, veteran Baylor team that just decided they weren't going to lose that game. And there was some fluky stuff, you know, kind of a bloop double down the line that just kind of fell in. So if it had been six inches further to the left, it's a foul ball. So um, that's just kind of tough luck for Texas State there, but a good weekend nonetheless. And Nicholas Fraze, nearly no-hit Rice on Friday. Fantastic start for him. And, you know, before that, he had, he had been just kind of okay. I mean, even as well as he pitched, his ERA is down to 379, which he, he had been just okay before. So certainly good step forward there. I, I also liked what I saw from Connor Wright yesterday because the games were canceled. I, I got a chance to stream a lot of games yesterday, and, and one of them I watched was that Texas State-Baylor game, and he gave up a home run right out of the gate to Richard Cunningham, uh, who's off to a great start this season, but then really settled down um, and, and really did a nice job getting Texas State late into, uh, into that game, and they've got some dynamic offensive pieces as well. Uh, Jackson Williams has been a catalyst so far. He's hitting 463, which, uh, I don't know, that sounds pretty good. Um, and then Jalen Hubbard, another guy, and I came away kind of impressed with the way Jalen Hubbard defends at third base. I, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of that that weekend because obviously I was in Frisco, but it seems like every time I kind of checked in, there was a highlight of, of him making an outstanding play at third base. So uh, kind of an interesting team. Uh, you know, Skylar Valentine, Dalton Sheffield are off to good starts as well, Cole, Cole Coffey as well. Um, so this is a team I'm really kind of interested to watch moving forward, and, and I, I would like to see it. I mean, this is a, I mentioned this in the last week's class, but this is a team that I remember, you know, being the type of team who, when they were in the Southland, would, would challenge to get into regionals and be a two-seed, perhaps, you know, in, in their best years. And so they uh, moved to the Sun Belt, made it to where life was a little bit more difficult within the conference, and um, maybe this is the year they kind of find their footing. So it's going to be something to watch moving forward. They're going to have opportunities uh, for some wins in the, in the Sun Belt. They would kind of pad their postseason resume, and uh, I'll be interested to look up again in May and, and see where this team ends up because I think what they showed us this weekend is that on the top end, they have the potential to be that kind of team. Um, it's just going to be about, you know, can they hold that consistency throughout the entire season? There's a very interesting weekend series coming up in San Marcos with uh, UConn coming to town this weekend. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how Texas State, if they're able to capitalize on what they've done for the first part of the season it went with, uh, with a regional caliber team you know, in their home ballpark this weekend. So that that's a under-the-radar series to watch for this coming weekend. <clears throat> the One of the, the great things about the Shriners uh, Hospitals for Children College Classic is uh, the way that the Shriners uh, Foundation has gets involved, uh, the, the way that, you know, they bring so many uh, of the children who are helped by the hospitals to the tournament. Each team, uh, you know, kind of adopts 
uh, a, a kid that you know comes and, and watches them uh, you know practice in the fall and uh, then, then is with them throughout the this weekend and it, it's always just really great to see um, you know, the players and, and, and how they interact uh, with those children and uh, so I, I did want to mention that that we at Baseball America teamed up with Shriners Hospitals for Children uh, this week for a special offer for any new one-year subscription uh, that you make to Baseball America using the code Shriners19. Baseball America will donate 20% of the proceeds to Shriners Hospitals. So again, go to baseballamerica.com uh, and use that code Shriners19. If you're on the fence about subscribing, uh, this is probably about the best time you could possibly do it with uh, with what we have at baseballamerica.com. You know, going into the season and then with the uh, with the added benefit of of helping out. Uh, Shriners Hospitals for Children, which is uh, an outstanding uh, organization that, that does a lot of really big work. Now, guys, on the rundown, I, it, this does not exist, so I'm, I'm sprinting this on you guys. But Joe and I uh, spent this weekend in Houston, where there is you know a lot of good food. And, and Joe <coughs> mentioned uh, over on Twitter at, at one point that he thought that maybe he would just eat all of his meals at, at Whataburger, which is, of course, a uh, regional chain down here. And I suggested uh, going to Torchy's Tacos, which is also a regional chain down here. So which do you prefer, burgers or tacos? Dave, I'll let you hit lead off. Well, I would, you know, I love my burgers. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But I, I prefer nowadays to be more tacos. They, they seem not to be as fatty as burgers are. So I would say tacos more for a health reason. As long as there's not all the cheese and guacamole and all that on it, it's a little bit of a healthier choice. Dave, can I, I tell you that this weekend I ate a chicken and waffles taco, so uh, tacos can certainly not be the healthy choice as well. Well, I've never had one with waffles on it, and I probably never will have one with waffles on it. Who goes to you, So I, hmm, I will go burgers. Um, just because I think the ceiling on burgers is higher. You know, I'm wrong. I've had a lot of good tacos, and Torchy's is, is one of my favorite taco places. I, I miss that about living in Houston. But uh, I just feel like the ceiling, there's a lot of good burgers that I've had that I remember specifically. But tacos, not, not quite so much. And maybe that's just been an opportunity thing where I've probably had more burgers in my life than I've had tacos. Um, so I'll go burgers, but what I do like about tacos, and, and burgers are getting better about this, you see a lot of burger places that are doing a good job of kind of mixing it up, but there's just so much versatility with tacos. You know, something like a chicken and waffles taco was probably ridiculous 10, 12 years ago, but now um, the whole taco game is kind of blown up, and it feels like there's just you can get just about anything wrapped up in a tortilla and call it a taco. So I'm here for that for sure, but but I'll go burgers just because I feel like the uh, the ceiling on burgers is a little higher for me. I am definitely going to go tacos. Uh, you know, burgers are, are solid. You know what you're getting. Uh, but I, I do like the variety. That, that's a great call there by Joe. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I ate a chicken and waffles taco already this weekend. So I, I just like the uh, the versatility and, and the diversity of, of flavors that you can get in a taco. And yeah, that that is what I do when I when I come down here to Texas. I immediately eat as many tacos as I possibly can. So back to the on-field action. Uh, it is time for our weekly shout-outs where we uh, you know, mention uh, some players or programs or stories that, that we haven't talked about so far but are worthy of the college baseball world's attention. Uh, so, Dave, let, let's start with you. Who, uh, who caught your eye uh, over the last week? 
Well, a couple things. Uh, first off, I remember last, in last week's podcast we were talking about Southern Miss and their tough uh, weekend series against Mississippi State. And we felt them, even though they lost the series, that they were going to get better from it. We talked about the travel of that one all the way from Washington to Hattiesburg. Props to Gonzaga. They won. It only ended up being a two-game series. They sweeped the two games. The third game was canceled due to weather. But they go all the way to country, sweep uh, Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, which is not easy to do, especially when you're traveling so far, especially when they started the season kind of scuffling a little bit. I'm talking about the Zags right now. And knock Southern Miss out of our top 25. So kudos to them. Now the reward for that is they get to go to College Station this week and take on Rob Childress, a very good pitching staff. So, uh, again, props to Gonzaga for a tough schedule and all their travel, but to go in there and win two games. I want to congratulate Coach Fox at North Carolina on win number 900, 900 at the school, and also uh, want to congratulate Richie Price at the uh, University of Kansas. Uh, we go way back from the West Coast. Richie's one of the nicest guys out there in the country. He got win number 500. So congratulations to both those coaches. And then the player I want to point out is um, Cal State Fullerton's Hank Laforte. He's their leadoff hitter, and he's doing what leadoff hitters are supposed to do. Uh, this weekend, he extended streak to 54 straight games of getting on base for the Titans. That carries back to last year. So congratulations to Hank Laforte and his 54-game streak of reaching base. That is truly remarkable. 54 games, that's almost an entire season already. Quite the accomplishment there for, for the Titan. Uh, Joe, what do you got? Uh, so my first one, um, well, I was going to mention Whataburger, but you kind of already covered that for me. Uh, enjoyed the Whataburger. Um, and I, I can already hear the in and out people like rushing their computers to at me. Don't do that. <laughs> Here's the thing, like, my hot take on regional fast food, it's all good. Like, it's all good. That's fine. Like, we don't have to get into this whole, like, regional fast food fight here. But uh, happy to have Whataburger back in my life. So that was great. Also, a shout to the DFW area. The whole area I was in, Frisco, uh, the Colony, uh, Louisville, Plano. Um, I grew up in a big city in Houston, so I, I guess I've just kind of forgotten this because now I live in, in the Midwest, in the St. Louis area, where it's, it's kind of historic building, older city. But I was kind of in these DFW suburbs, and I'd forgotten, like, how big the buildings are. And I don't mean downtown buildings. I'm saying, like, in the suburbs, like, every place I passed were these humongous buildings. I passed something called a Nebraska Furniture Mart that I can only presume by the size of it has every piece of furniture in DFW in it. I mean, it was humongous. It took up, like, you know, half a mile of highway. There was a gastropub outside the neighborhood I was staying that was three stories tall. Like, the, the, build, the buildings were just huge restaurants and bars and retail spaces were just massive and i just kind of reminded of how how that is the case in some of these uh suburbs of these larger cities there in the south that was kind of just kind of a while they kind of get used to, to seeing that kind of stuff again um on the field though uh pacific uh nine and two on the year series wins over sacramento state and now most recently seattle u uh good job there by uh, head coach ryan garko player to know there james free the second their catcher had a fantastic freshman year ago Last year, took a step back, maybe pressing a little bit, trying to live up to the expectations that came with his freshman year. So Pacific off to a nice start. And those are two important series wins against Sacramento State and Seattle U because those are teams that, um, you know, are kind of in a similar place in the West Coast pecking order as Pacific. So that's kind of big to kind of signal that maybe uh, they are on the rise there. Not a team that's off the radar, but a stat that I found when I was going through some of the recaps this weekend, I put this in the top 25 rundown, but uh, Logan Wyatt. Uh, this, so far this season, he has made 20 outs, 
he has walked 19 times, um, which is just incredible. His on-base percentage was like six, six something. Um, so incredible start for him. Speaking of incredible starts, my last one, another team that they are, but a stat that just bears repeating is, is how good Tommy Henry has been for them this year. Uh, he has yet to give up an earned run. His K-to-walk ratio is 34-2. to two. Opponents are hitting 132 against him. And Michigan pitching in general has just been outstanding. They've only used nine guys this year. And granted, they haven't had the midweek games yet and all that kind of stuff. They really just play on the wins. But um, I think it shows that uh, the core of their pitching staff is, is really, really good, specifically Hawk Hoffman in that rotation. That really has been impressive. Uh, he's been one of the best pitchers in the country to this point, and I, for one, am very much looking forward to seeing how he handles UCLA on Friday night in uh, the opening of the, the Dodger Stadium Classic out there in L.A. That should be a fantastic matchup between him and Zach Petway uh, and a really big test for, uh, for him and, and the entire Wolverines team uh, this weekend out in L.A. For my, uh, for my shout-outs, I, I want to start here with Duke pitchers Graham Stinson, Matt Dockman, and Jack Carey, who combined to throw a, uh, a no-hitter on Friday night against Penn State. Stinson covered the first five, Dockman threw the sixth, and then Carey uh, the final three innings, and it was Duke's first no-hitter since 1955. I just rather rather an impressive uh, um, combination for Duke. For- Duke there on, on Friday night. Also wanted to mention Bryant, which uh, back really well after getting swept at LSU last weekend. Uh, the Bulldogs went to Virginia Tech, which entered the weekend at 7-0, and and Bryant won the series. It was their first ever series win against an ACC team, and that's a, a pretty solid Hokies team that, that like, I, I mean, they were undefeated going into it, and it wasn't a soft 7-0 really either. They, they had been some pretty good teams, and you know, Brian is the favorite in the Northeast Conference again this year, and I, this is a team that, that is worth watching uh, up in that part of the country uh, with Jimmy Titus and uh, Ryan Ward in that lineup. Uh, I know they're very excited to have that duo together um, you know, for, for an extended period of time, hopefully, because each one of them has missed one of the last two seasons. Uh, and, and if they can have them healthy together with the pitching staff that Brian uh, can put together, I, I think that team... Uh, can make some noise. And also I wanted to mention this um, wild, wild game that New Mexico and San Jose State played yesterday. Uh, they combined for, for 40 runs. Mountain West baseball is uh, is truly wild. Uh, that is my takeaway from that. But it is, uh, it's a fun time uh, out there as well. I know I, I, I'm pretty sure I talked on cast last week about the Mountain West. I know I wrote about it in Off the Bat. They, they started conference play this week, and things got crazy, uh, right from even ignoring the fact that uh, New Mexico and, and San Jose State played this game, that uh, San Jose State won 22-18. Um, Air Force upset uh, San Diego State on opening day of conference play, and I, I think Air Force is also worthy of a, of a shout-out. Uh, they beat East Carolina on Monday. Um, you know, they've really been on a little stretch here. They won that series against Navy last weekend. They beat East Carolina. Uh, they beat San Diego State. That that series, unfortunately, wound up only being one game uh, because of weather in, in the Colorado area. But Air Force has uh, has been off to a nice start. So that that's always uh, fun to see when, uh, you know, the Falcons uh, can, can get rolling like that. So that, I think, about does it for week three of the, the college, the third weekend of the baseball season. It was a fun one. It was entertaining. It, it was pretty much everything you would want. And... 
we're looking forward to having more of those uh, throughout the year. Hopefully, this next weekend uh, can can live up to to what week three was. And, and week four has some in, intriguing things. Uh, looking ahead already, uh, you you have Texas going out to Stanford. Uh, you have the the Dodger Stadium uh, Classic, like I mentioned. Uh, so there there should be some. Uh, you know, high-profile series, some team matchups for us to talk about here on the podcast next week. So to make sure that you guys can hear us do that, uh, make sure you're, you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcast app. And uh, if you're so inclined, we, we would really appreciate uh, you giving us a, a review or, or a rating. Uh, if, if you can do that, that helps uh, other people find the podcast and, and lets us know, um, you know, what you like uh, about what we're doing. Uh, make sure you check out all of the college content over at BaseballAmerica.com. There's a new Top 25 there today. Uh, there's uh, my off-the-bat column. There's plenty of stuff uh, coming out of the weekend, both from the, the Shriners Classic and the Frisco Classic, and there will be uh, more throughout the week. So uh, make sure to check all that out over at BaseballAmerica.com. And I will just uh, mention this once again. We are running a special offer this only uh, in conjunction with Shriners Hospitals, where if you subscribe to Baseball America, if you if you get a, a one-year subscription to Baseball America using the code Shriners19, Baseball America will donate 20% of uh, that subscription cost uh, to Shriners for Children, which, again, does amazing work throughout the country working with, with, with children who um, need their care, which they do, again, a, just a great job of providing them at, at their uh, hospitals throughout the country. So that'll do it for us. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, again, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. And Joe is at Joe score on underscore sports. Uh, we will be back here next Monday with a new top 25 and a new edition of the Baseball America College podcast. So we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.